Welcome to the Kingdoms Podcast, sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ladies and gentlemen, you're once again welcome to another episode of the Kingdoms Podcast. I've got exciting news for you. You can now contribute to your favorite podcast by signing on to our Patreon. Go to the Patreon link in the description and you can contribute to the growth and development of your favorite podcast with as little as $5 monthly. Also, do not forget to sign up for your MBA program with the Ottman Business School see the code uh in the description with the code kingdom sport 30 you can sign up for 30 percent discount on the program here's a word from our sponsors life is way more important than sales you're not gonna know what's gonna be the problems and what are the challenges that you're gonna face and my job is to help you understand how sales helps you succeed at life by the end of that phone call my hand was shaking so badly i could not hold a pen to write i called my manager john and i said i might have just killed jeff bezos the end result of Google acquiring YouTube for $1.65 billion is compressed into five days. You're being taught by actual people who have done it. The founder of Shazam, the founder of Lime, the founder of Eventbrite, the founder of Waves, the founder of YouTube, and others are going to help you understand how they did it. It is the best experience that you can have. You're going to see some truly remarkable results. Let's go. This is a lifetime lesson. So start now. Hello, wonderful people. You're once again welcome to the King Dames podcast. And today we have with us a very important man from Lagos, Nigeria. He is the CEO of my CFO, Angie, and he's a man of multiple endeavors. A big welcome. Achibola Chinodu. How are you today, Achibola? I'm very fine, thank you. Uh, Ademola, thanks for, for having me here. And um, I, I I really hope to do justice to an ordinary person doing extraordinary things. I mean, oh, I still wow. feel very, very <laughs> ordinary, but I mean, I'm actually very humbled that you actually um, invited me today. So looking forward to a very good uh, interaction. Okay, thank you very much. And of course, you know, uh, me being on gratitude, I am very grateful for uh, you squeezing out time from your very busy schedule. <laughs> if you know Ajibola, you know he's a very busy man, and to get to be able to steal some time on his calendar <laughs> to get him to talk is a very, very big deal. And you know, it's something I do not take for granted. So, really, let's get to meet you. Who would you say Ajibola Chinodu is? Uh, who are you? Who would you describe yourself as? Interesting. So, uh, I mean, you you put the questions through. I mean, so your preparation for this, and I looked at that question, and I was like, do, do I do I know do I even know who I am? I mean, it's very. I, I'll answer it anyway, but to the best of my ability. But actually, it, why I'm trying to say that it got me reflecting, like, yeah. So, so who really are you? 
Uh, are you uh, the, the founder of myself, ONG? Uh, are you an accountant? Are you a father? Are you a husband? Where exactly are you? Are you all of those? Those things are the roles you play, but they who you are, things like that. So it really, so it was supposed to be a simple question, but then it got me really thinking deeply. But who I would say Ajibola Jinodi is, is just a simple guy uh, in Lagos. Um, and I'm, when I say simple, I'm actually very, very simple. That's, you won't find anything complex or complete, anything complex, complicated. Uh, I either find a way to simplify it or I just delegate it and all of that. So simple guy, uh, married with two kids. Um, I'm big on family, uh, especially the, the nuclear, the nuclear kind. Uh, so like because it's still simple like i just know who who, who is who is who and all of that uh mostly uh how i'm an introvert i i i yeah it's not necessarily a bad thing or i know it's not necessarily a bad thing it doesn't mean i don't have experiences and all of that but i get my energy from like retreating i hear extroverts get their energy from going out and all of that i get my energy from retreating and when i retreat i'm reading books or watching movies uh doing things like that to energize myself so uh in a simple space i don't want to go in all of it's all of the professional whatever but like who i am in my in my natural self is just a simple guy just just trying to get through life Oh, wow, interesting. So, um, I like to ask every guest about you know their childhood and growing up because uh, to me, I feel that is a very important you know phase of life that defines you as a person, uh, right? You uh, describe yourself as an introvert, as somebody who has got who places a lot of premium on you know family, uh, you know values, right? Uh, you're also a professional, a consummate professional at that, right? But then. I mm. like to believe that your childhood, your growing up, your early influences, your early life mentors mm. actually did shape you into who you are. Do you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree 100%. As in, whoever we are now is just a sum of all our experiences. And our childhood in particular plays, plays a lot. Uh, psychologists and all these guys they actually did studies and then who you really are as a person by the time you're 20 21 it's already formed and yeah. it's really formed in your teenage years i know so um my childhood was um a mix of fun and me wishing i could go back and do it all over again especially my wow. secondary school years so um yeah uh i'm first of three kids um my parents i have a younger brother a younger sister so anyway i mentioned that to just let you know there's always a there's a first there's a pressure of the firstborn wow there's so it means we share something in common i'm also a firstborn right? exactly. <laughs> i understand, so, I understand so, how so, much yeah, pressure so, that comes with exactly so there's a pressure of the firstborn i want to even add that and say there's a pressure of the african firstborn mm. i know so uh real talk i really felt growing up that i never measured up 
to the expectations I had of my dad, my father. And because the pressure came as early as whatever, when I was still figuring out how to even, where's my left, where's my right, then somebody's already like putting a lot of expectations on on, on you. I, I, I like, so I get this nuclear whatever from my own family as well. Like I didn't see my cousins much and things like that. <clears throat> I just saw them at parties and stuff, but we're not like this. All the cousins get together. We're not really big, we're very, Okay, so the interactions or my general interactions were really around my dad, my mom, my siblings, just like that over and over again. And um, so uh, I was very shy. Uh, I was very shy. I wasn't out there. In fact, if my secondary school mates, if my secondary school is like, see what I'm doing now and be like, is it that same guy? I know. So I was very shy. I was. I lacked confidence. I, I. 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 In fact, that's why I say where I want to go. I just want to go back and do all of that again. But um, it doesn't really matter. But it really shaped how I started to think about things because being um, a quiet, shy person meant I was very reflective. So mm -hmm. I'm think. Um, so it, it has a good. It has a bad side. But the things I'm always in my head scenarios and all of that i was a daydreamer big daydreamer as a kid wow. i don't even think it has left me maybe, but wow. now i get to execute more but then as kid or as a kid i couldn't execute much so i would just dream up all of these scenarios and all of that i know and and because i was also shy as well i couldn't i didn't do much i would really say i didn't do much i know but it not i think that's part of what made me very very um a deep thinker um, an avid reader uh, and um, very analytic, uh, very analytical uh, as a person and all of that. So I, I, when I look back, I just wish, okay, I could have gotten into more shenanigans as as a teenager. As a, so we, I saw what my friends were doing and all of that. And I always just wished I could just like do it. So, but then I, I honestly didn't say I really did much then. Although most of it then coincided with my time in secondary school, I was in boarding house in the federal government college, and also uh, I had little experiences as, at home because just family and all of that. And then you and your parents, you are not mates and all of that. And then you're the firstborn, so the younger ones are looking up to you. So I can really say I had friends and things like that. So school was where I was exposed to a lot and um in that in that space it was very clear that if and i think that's also part of what affected the confidence it was clear that people were actually getting experience with their other their brothers or maybe their parents were less strict and things like that so they were outside and doing things a while me i was just in my head wishing and thinking i could do things and all of that so 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 all that happened and uh i finished secondary school around when i was 16. I was 16. Uh, this was in um, in 2000. I was born in 1984. Uh, so I finished at 16, cleared my work and all of those things. And I, in fact, it was really at that point that the relationship with my dad changed because all the while he was just telling me in African, you know, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> Don't disgrace me. Don't disgrace me. If you fail your work, if you fail your work, you you will disgrace me and things like that. I know, in fact, even between SS2 and SS3, he was like really considering like 
like making me repeat SS2 because he didn't want me to disgrace his family name and all of that uh, and and stuff. But I, I guess, and I was still, I mean, so I was struggling anyway, I was struggling. So it wasn't as if I wasn't brilliant. I was naturally brilliant. And, but all of the other things around my life was like, I was just clueless around stuff managing myself and all of that so obviously that affected my academics and also i just became very average and you know. but by the time i got to ss3 i kind of started growing up and um and then it it just kind of like i just started understanding things i just started understanding life so so that took me to 16 then i was lucky quote and unquote to get into um yeah tech almost immediately I, I didn't stay at home for long i think i stayed at home for about six months uh by january 2001 i was in yeah tech and again that also now exposed another gap you know so now you're in the real but it's not boarding school yeah yeah college age exactly yeah, in college age and all of that so struggled for one semester but i was focused on academics I struggled for one semester and then in the second semester i just kind of like had to talk myself out of not being shy not being timid not like really i i'm actually serious okay i actually went into a camera to into the mirror at some point i started telling myself wow you're not ugly you're handsome yeah this and and this was even before i even knew that it was even a technique i mean i just stumbled upon it but sometimes you have to have your daily affirmations or just affirmations even if it's not daily that you're not, um, you're not useless. You're not stupid. You're not whatever and things like that. So I literally had to do that and say, and this was the break between the first semester of my first year and second semester. I was just uh, on my own. My kid, my, my siblings were in school. My parents are going to work. So I just really had a lot of alone time, but then I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. I, I, I couldn't, it wasn't my, it wasn't my nature to get into anything. So I, I was, you're not useless, you're handsome, you're this, anybody. So I had to do that and just got to get that mindset. And by the time I got back into school for the second semester, boom, we just, I just said, I mean, to manifestations. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was a journey. I wouldn't say all of a sudden, but I mean, it was just radically different. Uh, changed my circle of friends and all of, and all of, and all of that. So, Generally, so that's how, so some people still see me now and just be like, yeah, shy and all that. So it is, no, I'm not shy anymore. I'm just introverted because I already realized that. I mean, I also tried, after I tried the whole, you know, go out there, go to this, go to that, blah, blah, blah. I just realized it was draining. It was It was draining for me. It doesn't come naturally. So yes, I can keep a conversation when I go out and all of that. But what would I rather do? Yes, I would rather be at home, chilling doing something that stimulates stimulates me and all of that i still keep things done outside when i have to and all of that so 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 that's essentially uh my childhood uh, and one thing i actually forgot also but it's all ties to being shy and all of that was i was a late bloomer uh, so mm. puberty came late for me so i think i was in gs1 where they give you all this um, stuff about when puberty is coming, your voice will do this, your this will do that, your dust will do that, blah, blah, blah. Man, the thing, the thing is, it felt like the thing missed me completely. So, puberty so, was not puberty. It wasn't. It, it wasn't. 
And then when you're in boarding school like that, guys, guys are always bragging. I do this, I do this, I do this, I do that, blah, blah, blah. See this, see my, see my two birds, see my this, my voice is getting like, none of that was happening to me. So you just really felt like, okay, yeah, uh, I'm just down here. So, so, so that's, so that's, uh, pretty much my childhood. So it was a, it's a combination of fun because. I think uh, growing up in the 90s, I think that was the last time anybody really had fun growing up, if you ask me. Yeah, real fun. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 that's subjective, but as a growing up in the 90s, it was fun. Uh, and uh, at the same time, even uh, I'm almost 40 now, I still look and be like, sometimes it just, I mean, I, I probably need to move on, but sometimes I'll be like, ah, I need to go and do that again. But I want to do that with the knowledge I have now, and that's that's not. That's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean that's that uh, that's a, that's not realistic or not anything. And even realizing that most of the people that I was even saying they were, they were also figuring things out too. They were also they were also teenagers like like myself, and uh, some of them were posturing and all of that. But it, it's all good. All of those experiences um, uh, shaped me. I was um, I was extremely bullied as well. Obviously, I guess if. I was in if it wasn't obvious from how I was saying it. Yeah. So 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 I was obviously bullied a lot. Uh just because and sometimes it's sometimes bullying comes from a place of somebody just deciding I'm better than that guy. Not necessarily because they bully themselves. They just want to feel good. I think humans have this need to dominate. It's inherent. Exactly. Just dominate the the yeah we're the talking weaker, about the, the uh, before world. we came in before we came, we're yeah. talking about uh, france and so called. so so things like that have. so so now i'm a very strong anti-bullying advocate mm. you know, because of my experiences so my experiences came from being bullied so uh obviously i can't do anything on the kid's side but in the workplace i see corporate bullying and i literally speak up like fight fight because against that fight against that exactly uh i mean nobody bullies me anymore in fact i should be the bully at, at this point in exactly. time but then at, i look at point in life right uh, yeah so but i look at people that have been anywhere i work and uh, and i actually have uh, people can speak for me like in places where i see people are being bullied like i usually walk up to the bully and it's not as easy as just saying yeah if you're being bullied fight back <laughs> if you if you could fight back, fight back yeah. if you could fight back you won't be bullied like exactly. yeah and corporate bullying is not like if i think corporate bullying is worse i mean because you see grown men grown women we married with married with kids and somebody is treating them less than and they really can't leave because you are holding their source of um, livelihood and you're treating them like one thing or the other so i i I mean, from own experiences and all of that, I, 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 I go and be like, no, you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't, do you, that. Can, you can't treat, you can't, you can't treat people like that. This, this, I, I mean, nobody of, of any age should be bullied, but I mean, then when you're not talking about people that come to work for you, they have families at home, they do all of that, then, I mean, treat them with a basic level of decorum. So that's a long-winded story <laughs> of uh, my childhood <laughs> oh, 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 and some experiences and then, and then bringing me to at least this point. Uh, interesting, interesting. I think so some of the themes that really stick out for me uh, from, from your childhood uh, number one, you realizing that you are a deep thinker, 
right? And deep thinking is essential for critical thinking. Uh, so for me, I, I tell people something. I tell people the world is split into two types of people, the thinkers and the doers, right? In order to achieve success yeah. in life, it is essential to achieve a balance between thinking and doing because sure. you can think all you can right have you know fantastic strategies but then if you don't have fantastic execution as well we both know that it leaves that in your head it leaves that in your head interestingly <laughs> interestingly right we're both finance guys right we're both chartered accountants right and i think in order to be successful as a chartered accountant like it's essential to to have that deep thinking Mm. as part of your 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 skill sets because a lot of the work that we do is analytical in nature right and you need that deep yeah. thinking so i see yeah. that that i see something that has influenced your success you know along along those along those lines right mm. then i think mm. I, 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 another thing that, that that sticks out for me okay i think let, let's talk about the bullet parts you know later on right that mm. is uh that that's self-belief right finding a way to to push yourself even when you've been talked down on even when you are being when when the world is against you it is very important because recollect that before we hit record button i was talking about mm. the essence of the podcast right which is sure. you know, sharing the story of ordinary people doing extraordinary things right but with the aim mm. to inspire people especially the up and coming in society right in order for mm. them to see that these people that you look up to in society have been through worse things than yourself sure. and they have been able to overcome these things so do not think that whatever you're going through is anything special sure. you can always pull through and you know we sharing our stories mm -hmm. sharing our journeys just gives inspiration to people that you know they can actually make something you know vital out of their lives you know you being able to find that self-belief you know whatever your methods are you know different people have different methods but then affirmations do really become you know manifestations affirmations sure. do really come through with confirmations um or over time you just need to keep doing it and you know you've been able to find that consistency and all then i think another thing that that, that struck that, that struck me is your highly supervised childhood <laughs> mm, right strict. you know yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of successful people the eg the likes of um ellen musk right he spoke about his, you know, strict father. Uh, some other people talk about unsupervised childhoods. But then I was going to put it to you because I know you are a parent now, hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. What do you think is a right balance in raising successful children in terms of the mix of the supervision and the unsupervision? You know, there's always that part of people figuring things out by themselves. It, helps people to be able to achieve critical reasoning you know you talked about how when you were thrown into the shark tank in tertiary education mm. you had to start figuring things out for yourself but if you had actually had that taste of you know unsupervision in figuring things out yourself i think you'd have done better at the early part right so like what was that good mix you know you'd advise you know parents to have in terms of supervision and you know giving 
you know, children freedom. Like, I don't know how you'll be able to like advise people on, on that. What's the right mix? I, I honestly <laughs> don't even know if I'll be the very best person to actually answer that. So, so I have two young kids. Uh, my first is almost four, uh, and second is almost one. And um, so, I mean, at, at this stage, they're. They, they they completely rely on their parents for 100 percent of everything they need i know uh but what i would say is so so i'm giving it some context uh so context is very good my dad and maybe it's one of the questions we would have touched upon later so when i was eight years old uh primary four uh, my dad called me and asked me what I wanted to be in future. And I mean, I think that's too early to ask someone. But he asked me how, uh, 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 what I wanted to be and all of that. So I said, um, with all the honesty of a kid, I said I wanted to be a teacher. And he was like, no, I want you to be a chartered accountant. So wow. I, I don't know. I don't know who... I mean, how brilliant or, or maybe what you're exposed to, but I don't know any eight-year-old that really understands what the concept of a chartered accountant is. Not even just an accountant. Say, I want to be a chartered accountant. Mm. And I'm like, okay. I mean, because my, my, my okay was just a case of you're my dad and I trust you to make the best decision for for, for me. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, if you say it's chartered accountant, so he could have said anything that day. And we would have actually started on that journey. You could have said, I wanted to be an engineer. I'm like, okay. I mean, because we, we trust our parents, I mean, innately, especially at that age, uh, people that have provided for you and all of that. So from that point to my mind, from when I can remember, from that point, everything that he did was putting me on that path of being a chartered accountant. So, mm. and he was very strict about it. Uh, a parallel I can draw is um, uh, the Jackson 5 or Michael Jackson, the story. If you've heard about dad and how. Like, yeah, yeah how how really grew to the five kids, yeah. Exactly, You're, you guys are gonna be music superstars, blah, 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 and like nothing else matters. So, and I mean, if you also, Michael tell about, tell stories of his childhood, I mean, you almost feel like, wow, but all this while you were a world dominating superstar, you were smiling in front of the cameras, but this was, so it feels, it feels that way. But then also realizing that all of that was done out of love. So it wasn't, um, what's that word now? It's not diabolical, it's not hate, it's not whatever. It's not toxic. So it's not, yeah, it's not toxic. It's not toxic, yeah. Uh, Okay, I, I let me not go that far. <laughs> I mean, maybe at least from the person doing it, it's not that they meant, they, meant they, they want to be toxic, but sometimes they can have toxic effects. Maybe that's the way I would say it. Okay, so, yeah, in terms of your intentions and your actions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the intention exactly. might be positive, the, the action yeah. might. Exactly. So, for some reason, I didn't just get why my dad was so strict with me like in terms of it must be this it must be this it must be this go and read your book go and do this go and do go and do, blah, blah, blah. like 
I'm just a kid. Like, let me be a kid. So like, yeah, yeah, that, that. If I come anything less than, I mean, if we are 15 in class and I get um, like 25th position or something like that, like that's going to be a very terrible holiday. Like seriously, I wish I, I wish I was back in school because you won't let me, as a, you won't let me rest. I know. So the good holidays for me at home was just when I'd done well in school. So it was just, it was just like continuous pounding, pounding, like this is how. So it was strict around a lot of things. No this, no this, no that, no that. Just focus, just focus, just focus. And so why that context is important is the focus was very good for me eventually. So I started my ICANN journey um just shortly after my 19th birthday wow. i qualified when i was 21 yeah just before my 22nd birthday i mean the, the timing is whatever i'm oh, did you do ats it. yes i did ats oh wow because so, i went to well. i did <laughs> i did nd and then use nd to start ats3 and then two years later i was um qualified i qualified wow. in 2006. Wow, um, yeah so uh so when i actually started oh by oh, okay before that i at when i got myself so to speak growing up when i got myself when i was in yaba tech i was the best student in accounting in the accounting department for for a very short while <laughs> but as in and i finished with the distinction and so what i'm trying to say is that all of that that i did like instilled some sort of focus discipline those mm -hmm. qualities that Ordinarily, without the supervision, I would just be running around being like telling myself I'm being free and all of that. Uh, and but the truth is, I hated every or not everybody, I hated it. I just hated the fact that I would say you didn't let me have the childhood or that growing up stuff that I wanted that, that I actually saw that people having. Uh, people that were not as strictly supervised, but then we still got to the same, we still got to the same place because um, we still yes. did the icon with the exactly. So I, they got they got to live a little, and they were still disciplined enough to take the academic part seriously. And all. meanwhile, my kids was all just da 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 da. I mean, and that pressure is not unique to me, but I feel kids really can't handle handle that and shouldn't handle that to be honest so the answer the long wider answer today is yeah there has to be some sort of balance between um being um, strict so definitely parents must supervise their kids like that's that's no whatever and they must teach them qualities like focus discipline mm -hmm. as in 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 in, in certain ways but you don't want to risk like doing it too much and then it breathes it it kind of breeds some sort of um resentment and to be fair i think it was only really, it took a while to really get back to that place with my dad because in the mind of a kid all this i'm saying is because i've i'm now 40 i've gone through whatever i now understand like that man didn't hate me i really thought my dad hated me as a kid i i 
No, no. So and I, I when when you hear the entirety of the childhood, I was bullied in school at home. I felt my dad hated me and right. all of it's, that. So it's you can difficult. Exactly, you can see how that starts to affect a kid's psyche. And 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 so I feel kids, at least not up till 15, 16, shouldn't go through that. Life is hard already. But then I don't exactly. also feel that parents should cuddle their kids too much to the point where they can't even function to in 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 life. So finding the balance is an obvious answer. Making the balance or getting what the balance is is then like now difficult. How 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 do you do? How, so, how, how, how do you take it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, and I, I'm hoping I have some time to figure it out. I mean, like I said, one oh, is four. Yeah. yeah. So 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 <laughs> something I yes. do, exactly. <laughs> but it's something I actually actively do to think about. I mean, so like in my own case, if I had said at any point that I wasn't gonna be a chartered accountant and all of that, mm. I would have instantly disappointed my dad. Like no kid wants to do that. It's already pressure. So anytime I did stuff that wasn't in like, he would let me know that he was disappointed. I mean, in addition to beatings and all of that, but but you let me know. But I think it's that feeling like I don't want to disappoint my dad. I don't want to disappoint my dad. Like that kind of like really pushed me in that uh, in, in that in in that in that space of um, uh, the pressure I had as as uh, as a kid. So hopefully I find a balance of, so first of all, I'm not going to tell any of my kids, I want them to be this, I want them to be that. I'm definitely not, not, not doing that. Uh, what I, I would try and do is just watch. So I think if once you watch kids, you just inherently know what they gravitate to. What, what, what they're capable of, right? What they're capable of and all of that. So they are not forced into a box. And then when you and them, I mean, you and the kids kind of like come to, okay, this is where you're, you're, you're good um, artistically, you're good. Uh, and with, I guess with a lot of, like I said, a deep thinker and all of that, I've actually realized that a lot of, there are a lot of ways to be successful. You don't have to be a chartered accountant. You don't have to, I mean, 10 years ago, how many people were doing podcasts and how many people were Instagram <laughs> models? I will tell you my story. In, I will tell you my story so, in a nutshell. <laughs> exactly. There are so many jobs. There are so many jobs that we have right now that didn't even exist. <laughs> that didn't exist. And I'm sure, yes, yeah. I know there are some jobs that are, I would say, timeless. Like, so you always need doctors, blah, blah, blah. Definitely. And sometimes Definitely. it's in a, in a bit to play it safe. <laughs> like, go for this safe whatever then yes. you actually miss out on letting people really really like get their potential like whatever it is yeah, I know. so if i wasn't in chat yeah, discovered exactly and even really make the impact in the world that they're supposed to make so there are people just stuck i mean they have all the talent in the world but they are stuck in a and I don't, I, I don't denigrate it at all because I, I, I want it. But they're stuck in a nine to five that is totally limiting what they're. So when they're in nine to five, you can only, yeah, exactly. You can only walk to your employer's rules and all of that. So mm -hmm. if, if, if you want to do something, but you're, you're not really free. So some people, some people like that. Some people like that structure. For other people, it's like they really want to do something else. Mm -hmm. But from their childhood. They had been forced to think you you must be this you must be this you must be that 
And even when they try to find themselves as adults, like they've already gone to one part that to 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 start to change and all of that is stuff. So so I mean I so I won't say there's one right or wrong answer, but obviously, uh like with anything in life, everything, everything is balanced. Yeah, okay, interesting. You know, African parents can tend to be quite pushy. And uh, you know, I, I yeah. actually I can relate for one as well, right? I would chat to the counter like yourself, and then I'll tell you a bit about my story. So um, like growing up, my own parents are always like, oh, try and be a professional because I feel like that is a social insurance. Like if you're a professional, mm. if you're one of the core professionals, like you can't go hungry, you know, things can't go wrong for you, uh, especially financially, right? So I think yeah. like uh, when I was in secondary school, I was a science student. They felt like, oh, this boy is academically bright. Okay. Then at some point, it was like, talks about, oh, becoming a doctor, blah, blah, blah. But then I was always very poor at math. So mm -hmm. it's one thing I always, you know, tell people to inspire them. You know, at some point, I used to teach, you know, ACCA, ICANN students, right? But then, yeah. trust me, I, I failed mathematics twice at O level. I was mm -hmm. very, very poor at math. You know, when, you know, mm. you remember Jamb, we used to write Jamb. Sure, sure. I, sure. I scored 288 on my Jamb, right? Mm. But trust me, I would have scored over 300. It was because of mathematics. I think I scored just 50. I scored 50 in mathematics. Oh, and I, I, I still had. And I still had. No, that was because I had to push myself, right? Because I, I, I had I to push. Imagine. I really had to push myself, right? So mm. for me, when it came to academics, I was like always a high flyer. But when it came to mathematics, I always performed poorly. And that's because like I had really bad teachers who would like pressure you, make you feel stupid and all because you don't know uh, mm. numbers. But when I got into university, I decided to discover that there was a method behind the madness. So when I wanted to like pick something for, for uni, I wanted to pick mass communication. And my father told me mm. that. You can only pick that if you know you pay your school fees by yourself. Mm. <laughs> and then I did that. Wow, the die is cast. So it's like, go study something professional, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, okay, what else did I like enjoy in secondary school? I used to like economics. And I'm going to tell you a very funny story about why I liked economics. Because, you know, growing up, my mom was always about, oh, economize things in the household. You guys don't know how to economize. <laughs> and that was why. <laughs> That was why I got to like economics. I was like, okay, let me learn how to economize. And then when I got into it, I was like, it's not even about economics. I know, right? <laughs> that is more of home economics. You're very correct. I mean, I actually, for a long time, I thought accounting was banking. So, yeah, exactly. Right? So, <laughs> so, at some point, you know, when I finished, well, okay, I finished secondary school. And then my father was like, oh, would you do ICANN? In my head, I was like, what's mm -hmm. ICANN about? Like anything. I always had this mentality of I can do all things to Christ sure. that stretches me. So <laughs> it was like, oh, you do ICANN. I was like, okay, as long as it's to keep busy. And that's what I got into. Mm -hmm. And he always wanted me to be a chartered accountant, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, I'll push this through, I'll push this through. And, you know, I remember the day I got inducted, I think, okay, the day my final results of ICANN came out, mm -hmm. and then it was confirmed that, you know, I'll be a chartered accountant. My father said, yes, that is my son. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> All this while I'm not being your son. <laughs> You know, African either, parents, you either. know, are usually very proud of these things, you know. Yeah, I mean, I felt it. I actually felt it. When when 
in fact if at so at a point i actually felt like the only time i was good enough for for my parents was when i did anything academically any other thing didn't matter so like i mentioned when i was the best student in the class everywhere i went my dad would be like have you met my son he's the best student in his class have you met my son he's the best student? i'm like why is he why is he saying this <laughs> yeah but, but, but one thing i remember you know mm. my father also telling me then was that he told me you can be a you, you, you can be a professional right mm. and still be a mass communicator but then you can't be a mass communicator and be like a finance professional, for example. And mm. the thing that kind of kept me going, and many years down the line, yeah, I'm still a full-time finance professional, but now I have mm. my own podcast. Mm. So years down the line, it started to make sense to me that, okay, this man wanted me to be relevant in society, to be resourceful. But I think where a lot of African parents, you know, Gary Brown is, you know, explaining the method behind the madness to these kids like they want you to be successful in life right they want you to be relevant in society they want you to earn respect you know um, in society right in you know amongst your peers you know in the society generally to them as well right but as well they should always try to create that balance so for me i had to chase that balance because yeah finance yeah talented you're gifted you have the mental capacity but is this really what you want to do is this how you really want to impact the world no so you can always achieve that balance between okay i do something that i'm gifted at right and also i i do something that i have developed skills and like competences uh, around so i think that that balance is actually just you know uh, very much uh, required and apparently we're in the 21st century we we have a lot of professions like you said earlier that never existed previously and people can yeah. call professionals and also have like side gigs um as well so um yeah, just this can actually be main income income stuff too i mean like mm -hmm. sometimes people are just making money off podcasts and um people are making money just being off uh, uh, on youtube or on um, tiktok like that's that's their main stuff so yeah we are so, now in the digital economy now <laughs> exactly I, I mean at some point tech just meant you were a computer scientist or you should just know how to use computer but now look at how how that has actually changed so i mean just to round up that that aspect of the the discussion i know so for me it's what what i what i'm Oh, what I'm trying to get to is that I think our parents focused a lot on what we're going to do professionally, what we're going to do to make money. But at the same time, because you are raising a human, life is a lot more than that. So life should be about raising a well-rounded person, person beyond just... Oh, so I'm raising my kids to be a doctor. I'm raising my kids to be an accountant. I'm raising my kids to be a, to be a, I feel that's just one box. And as humans, we are not, we have capabilities beyond that. If we eventually, we get to put ourselves in a box on our own, I think that's fine. I mean, because again, a lot of people like structure, 
the like to know you know, as you're putting this is what's happening next so, so that that's fine that would never go away but i think as parents parents should encourage their kids to dream widely and part of it is just be a well-rounded person yeah no academics if you do no academics what else do you know if it's sports like i had people in secondary school then that were very good in sports like very good run 100 meters blah 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 but then because and and I feel like if they had gone into that professionally, they would have actually have done well. really, yes, they would have thrived. But their parents were kind of like forcing them to be like, no, you must be an accountant, you must be a this, you must be a that, blah, blah, blah. And then you can, and they were not even good at the academic stuff. But just put them on the field. There's this guy, as I've said, there's this guy in my head. I just come in, like, put the guy on the field. He's playing football. He's on the track and field. Like, this guy was so, so, so good. They had to repeat classes and all of that because that was in... And it's just a case of that. I mean, it's just a case of if his talents were nurtured in such a way that it doesn't have to be something, but then we can take whatever he has in himself, his talents and all of that, can actually grow as just as a person that well okay yeah school is this but that is blah 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 and things like that so just generally find that balance to say okay yeah be a well-rounded person as opposed to just training people like you're just training them to be a certain a certain thing so that so that's definitely what I'll do differently. Mm. Wow, interesting. So let, 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 let's talk about your, your career before your career journey before the creation of my, my CFO NG, right? Mm -hmm. So you brought yeah. beauty to becoming a chartered accountant. <laughs> yeah. A lot of what we've been discussing basically is about the journey, the road to becoming yeah. a chartered accountant, right? So yeah. uh, what was the journey, you know, after becoming a chartered accountant, you know, before you created my CFO NG? Uh, all right. Um, so, I mean, that's actually straightforward and very, very short. Uh, so uh, I qualified in 2006, like I said, but uh, like I said, but I just finished uh, my HND at, at the time. Um, so uh, I went for service and um, I kind of... Um, uh, so I, I wanted to get a BSc, so because I was worried about my HND, I actually finished with a second class. Uh, sorry, well, equivalent of a second. If it if BSc and HND were were equivalent of each other, equivalent. so I finished with the equivalent of a uh, of a of a second class lower. So that was lower credit. So oh, in wow. fact, at that point, yeah. So 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 at that point. It, it just felt like my life was over even before it started like nobody would so i was qualified i was a qualified chartered accountant but i had an hnd lower credit so uh because of because of that i had to which is a good thing anyway so that's uh because of that i had to get um, a bsc so instead of working after my service here i went into trying to get a bsc uh so i uh, i got a bsc from oxford brooks university uh, in the UK to, so, so in fact, I mean, because without the packaging and all of that, if that's what you see everywhere, you wouldn't even see that I, I did a change somewhere and I was just, I have a BSc from Oxford Brooks University, blah, blah, blah. So, um, long story short, I, my career officially started, um, in late 2008. Um, I spent about four months in, um, first pension custodian, 
uh, Nigeria Limited, the subsidiary of um, the First Bank Holdings. So it's a pension house. I'm collecting money. So, but I wasn't doing anything accounting related. Uh, actually, interviewed for an accounting role, blah, blah, blah. But they were like, nah, go and start at the um, contributions department. So, pretty much what I was doing there was uh, once you make a pension contribution, uh, my job was just to uh, enter your details into the system that okay yeah, we've we've seen your money so let's 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 credit you and all of that so uh luckily but before then uh obviously i'd had all my my life was planned to go into uh accounting so like talking back from a child so my plan my life was planned that way so that was like a a detour so I obviously applied to all the big four, Deloitte, PwC, EY, and um, KPMG. Uh, I was this close to getting into KPMG. I had cleared, couple, wow. I cleared their tests, I cleared interviews, then I was supposed to meet with a partner. And then <clears throat> that's when they realized that my BSc was from Oxford Brooks and uh, they didn't accept it. And I was, I, I was, I was distraught uh, because yeah i was shattered because i mean i i felt i've written about this on, on on my linkedin because i felt that yes they had a policy and um so they will even call you to come for these interviews or tests if you don't meet certain requirements so maybe probably mm -hmm. somebody missed it by just saying bsc i didn't even think they were calling hndis then which kind of like indicated my decision to go get a bsc um so but then uh they were, and very competitive obviously so clear the test, clear a couple of interviews, and it was just the partner and everybody, my friends that were in KPMG then were telling me that the partners, the partner interview is a formality because you've really gone through the hard pass. The so I was already, parts. yeah, exactly. So I was already excited that, okay, this was going to be my first real job. And all of a sudden they just called me and said, my BSc is from Oxford Bruce, I said, yeah. I was like, oh, sorry, uh, we don't accept that. So what what so that's fine actually, in the sense that yes that's their that's their, that's their criteria. But what hurt me the most was the fact that, oh yeah, I didn't meet that criteria. But then I cleared stuff All that shows stages. that I'm beyond just that enough. piece of paper. Exactly, I'm competent enough. Like yeah, I wasn't supposed to make it true, but then you missed something and I made it true, and then all these barriers that you put, I scaled them. But then you still think I'm not good enough to to join you. So so that's what hurt me, and not even the fact that they had the criteria for for whatever that. So obviously, and the the other ones were not were not um, coming true. So on my twenty fourth birthday in two thousand and eight, actually. I was just tired. I just I just went online. I just I was just I was searching. I was not actively searching. Uh so there, there was yeah, it was me having my BSc from Oxford Brooks. I keep saying it because obviously this part of it like, yeah, you have a UK BSc. Uh I had ICANN. I'd already started ACC. I was in my final finals uh exam and all. So generally in my head, like like people should be rushing to 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 employ me. Just to and, have um, you on board. So, so to have me on board, like and and yes, maybe I had a lower credit and all of that, but I knew mm -hmm. I was brilliant and not just even brilliant academically, like I was just willing, ready to work and all of that. 
So anyway, uh, I I um ended up just going to work for this chartered accounting firm in somewhere in Oshodi in Lagos. Um, and then you know that you made a mistake when on the first day they give you a laptop and then you use the laptop to start searching for other jobs. I was like, Whoa. how did I end up? <laughs> <laughs> how did I how did I end up here? And I, I mean, so the guy told me I was going to pay me twenty thousand naira, and in fact, he told me that I should be paying him because he was going to train me. I know, Whoa. and no for some reason, for some reason, I just so no, I wasn't forced. He didn't force me, blah blah blah. I decided to accept the offer, so it wasn't like he tricked me or whatever. I decided to accept the offer, but immediately I started. I in my head, I was just like, you know what? Work in the place for like six months is a chartered accounting firm, and then you can at least have that. You're not home alone. You're not. You're not bored. Blah blah blah. All of those things were were playing yeah, in my head. Yeah, and and I wanted to also prove that I could get a job without my parents. So that so I was just I was just joking. I I think people should to leverage on the connections that they have. As in, don't even try and um, stuff. So. After a month, as in, yeah, I sat down with my parents. I was still living at home at the time. And um, just, okay, like, this nah, this isn't working, I know. So I used my mom's connections. My mom worked in First Bank for about 33 years. So I just used my mom's connections to get into First Pension. I wrote a test and all of that. I mean, our connection was just to actually get me in front of someone that would say, okay, yeah, write the test. So I wasn't nepotism or anything or things like that. I wrote the test. I cleared it. And the man told me if I didn't clear that, irrespective of the relationship he had with my mom, I was going to get in. So I got in. Um, so I stayed for four months. Uh, that was November 2008 to uh, March 2009. I was lucky to get into Deloitte. So wow. for me, that... At long last. So, breaking into the big Yes, at, at long last. And in fact, it's a funny story because... First pension was awesome, like very awesome, very good working environment. But because obviously I wanted to do something accounting related. And I mean, it didn't matter if they had put me in accounting, internship, whatever, I would have loved it. But I didn't love what I was doing. But what I was doing was working on Excel and Excel in 2008. People don't even know how to use Excel now. But Excel in 2008 was completely different. It was still, it was a big deal, it was still new. I know. So when I went for my Deloitte interview, they just after we, I met with um, the senior manager, blah, blah, blah. After a while, they just told us, I think there were about 10 of us, they just gave us laptops and told us to just do, I can't remember what they told us to do. At that point, at that point, they were like, that was what I was literally doing every single day at First Fashion Consolidation. In fact, so one of the guys that came for the interview could not even open Microsoft Word. Like he didn't even know what the icon looked like. As and so at that point, so it was just a case of like see how God works or see how the world works. Like one that's because I didn't like my job, but I was entering Excel, so I known how to do Excel, this, that, blah, blah, blah. And I just came for an interview and all of a sudden there's this Excel test and they gave us 10 minutes to do something i think in five minutes i was done and i was the only one that was done so at that point i still started having confidence that yes i'm getting this job because i like i could see every other person say struggling i was i was i was done like no so so i got it to delight in march 2009 uh but i wasn't in lagos i was in the port Harcourt office um i stayed 
till um, 2017, stayed for eight years. Uh, in between, I was seconded to the U.S. Uh, because I, I was doing, so I stayed in um, in Dallas for almost two years. Came back, became a manager, uh, managed um, some of our biggest um, companies in 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 Nigeria. If I, my first job, my very first big managerial job was a big client that we just got from KPMG at the time. I mean, the, the client rotated from. They, they retreated from off, off KPMG and came to Deloitte, and then somehow, somehow, uh, I was handed the um, the job to to manage, and and I just became a manager. So that that kind of job should have been for a senior manager. So in some in some quarters, some people were like, ah, they're setting this guy up. Why would they give him this massive job? And then the other side of it is exactly, and the other side of it was like. Is it not Ajibola? We trust him. As Ajibola, if anybody can handle it, Ajibola can handle it. So I spent at least the the time before that, like building myself, building that reputation to the point where it got to a point where they were like, "Yeah, we have this massive job. We have this guy that we just made a manager." Uh, and I'm talking big, complex, inter listed of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, uh, in Europe, all of our group reporting, subsidiary reporting, all of those, whatever. I mean, people that are not accounting inclined will understand, but that's yeah, they will understand. That's but they're complex structures. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> massive. That's massive. Yeah, complex financial, financial statement. Exactly, like exactly. And then you, you, you're the big four as well. That you understand yeah, two, two what happens <laughs> again. In, exactly. I also, you also understand what happens again with um, things like uh, practice review. So it's not just you do what you are doing to the clients. At the same time, yeah, uh, the, uh, the the practice is looking at you to see that you're actually representing correctly. I know. But anyway, so so I I, I stayed for a while. Uh, I stayed until 2017 before I then left to become a CFO at um um. Uh, well, I'll call it mid-sized, mid-sized um, company. So um, it, it wasn't a plan, to be honest. But you still the question of, of my leaves, right? Because for me, yeah, uh, I think w w when I was, I worked with two of the big fours, anyways, yeah. PwC, KPMG, yeah, in the UK, and yeah. also had, had to yeah. move on to like a mid-sized firm. Um, yeah. I remember when uh, when I was with PwC, a senior manager told me something. He said, the big four is a great place to start your career, but yeah. not really a great place to end it. And I was like, mm. wow. And I'm still an associate. Like for a senior manager to be telling me this, he was at the verge of you know leaving the firm, you know, and he called mm. you know, some of us and you know advised us that learn as much as you can in this space. It's a fantastic True. platform, you know, for you to learn, pick up a lot of skills, competences, but these skills and competences, right, are more mm. valued, more valuable outside of the big four mm. environment. Like if you know you mm. you're ambitious, it's a springboard springboard for you to go into the world, you know, to shine. I let your light shine. I was like, mm. okay, interested, interested. So over time, mm. I understand yeah. that piece of advice. So for you, right, like what, what yeah. actually inspired that to move from the big four? That move, yeah. So the truth is my, 
overall plan from day one when i mean day one so day one i don't i can't remember what day one was so it was to be the cfo of a large listed company in nigeria or or well anywhere in the world so it's more like and i don't know why but this this company always comes to my head cadbury or maybe because i had my dad say it at some point like so when oh, you're wow. supposed to see a four of cadbury you just say that's a triple you know do so from day one i always knew that that's that, that was that's always been my overarching plan uh the cfo of that kind of that kind of company so that kind of organization yeah so even on joining Deloitte, and to be honest, I mean, I love Deloitte, but at that start point, literally could have been anyone, none of them, I like, was it like, I like this word about this word or whatever. So at that point it was whoever, whoever takes me first is where I was going to um, go or learn. So my plan was to learn, to, to go and spend two, three years in, in one of them. If I had always said that the day they make me a senior, that's the day I'll resign. So I'll do associate work and then, uh, and when I first joined and I saw how the seniors were doing so far ahead, I was like, ah, that, no, the day you make me a senior is the day, is the day I dropped my letter at all. So, so my plan was to spend two years in a big four and then move to the industry. So the industry plan had always been there from, from day one. So what happened, uh, I mean, life has other plans. So what happened was um, I was actually very good at what I did uh, in auditing. And it's not because of auditing itself. Again, you see the background from where I started to how my dad was drilling me. So I was already good in financial accounting, in all of that. Did I can when I was still very young, when I didn't have any other responsibilities. I, I read um, HND accounting. I did um, BSc in accounting as well. I've done ACCA. So a lot of those things had already kind of like shaped. So so when we when I started working, I was already two, three steps ahead of people that we started together. Exactly. And in fact, at some point I started leading jobs with people that had been in the firm before me mm-hmm. quickly. So 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 I mean, it's not bragging, I mean it's the fact, but then even if it's bragging, it's fine. It was very clear that I was a high flyer. Uh, there's my friend who is in the UK as well, as in both of us. It was just very obvious that. So you know, when somebody just joined within three, four, five months, like every, your your names are on everybody's lips. We were in the Portacot office, and then the guys in Lagos were just hearing our names like Ajibola, Ajibola, Ajibola. So because of that. Uh, because of that, I, almost every single year that I was with Deloitte, every single one except for the last year, and that was a business case, I got a promotion. So it kept on shifting the, uh, should I say the, the goalpost. So, <laughs> so if they had, if at some point I felt I was stagnant or not moving then maybe it would have made my decision easy to move out. Easier, faster. Faster. But it just felt like, so next year, uh, from as a senior associate, uh, uh, senior one, uh, senior two, uh, senior three, uh, go to US, uh, uh, stay the years, manager, like that. So it just felt like every single year, 
with the promotion and all of that, that felt like um, a new challenge, something. So there was always something to look forward to. But yeah, an extra incentive. <laughs> an extra incentive, one, and then naturally with humans as well. You don't want to leave your comfort zone. As it was comfortable. So every year, I mean, I'm working in a great place. I mean, it's stressful to work. So I don't even blame that on the company, on the firm itself, or I don't blame it on any big four. It's just stressful working there, but it's not because of how they are structured. It's because of what we have to deliver. And what we have to deliver to the client and all of that is what makes it stressful and not, if so I even think all the firms are trying and trying to make it easy but then the the demands never stop and that's just the finance world generally like it never sleeps so why 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 should you <laughs> why should you sleep at all so so i was comfortable i was comfortable knowing that if i just did what i needed to do well uh, i i would get promoted and also so i didn't leave so something that was supposed to be two years that's end up spending eight years Please. but deep down but deep down if we if you and i had met and had a discussion then uh, like I'll just be like, ah, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. So you go to a point. People that used to hear me just be like, okay, why are you saying? Like you don't want to be want you don't want to be here. But when well, next they are doing an award, when next time they do awards, they will call your name. When they say they've done this, da, 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 you are know, setting up all these things here. But I don't want to be. I don't want to be here because the truth is, eventually, I think I think one knocked it out of the park for me. Eventually, was I looked at. So I was in audit, obviously, uh, but we did a lot. Did I mean you? You start in audit, but then you just realize that you are like, yeah, you are, you are, you are a superstar in so many things. Uh, so I looked at the lives, not their like personal lives, but I just looked at okay, let me not say their lives. So I looked at the audit partners, and I was like, no. So I the lifestyle. Like, <laughs> I look at the lifestyle at the job. Is this what I really yeah, that, want to be so that so, so I don't want to say life because I mean by no, really personal. Let, let us look at yeah, the yeah. Huh. Yes. <laughs> and not even personal. So not personal. So not outside of work. So because I have great friends that are partners, to be honest. But I looked at what a partner does and there's, there's, there's big money there. I mean, being an audit partner, there's like, you, you're set. But I looked at it and it, it still can't rest. So I feel like if you climb to the top, there should be a point where you've literally paid your dues and then you're now lounging. And then the audit partners can't, they can't read. In fact, I mean, with the higher way risk, audit opinions and exactly, yeah. with the way audit opinions work and all of that, I mean, if anything should happen, they will even call the manager. I mean, so even if they're going to sue, they won't even call the manager. So the, the risk, the risk means they can't run. I was like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. So I don't think any job is easier than the other. And it's uh, every, whatever is what, whatever is good, whatever is going to be, is going to have hard parts. It's just whether can you deal with the hard parts. So to put everything together, I wasn't really, really into audit. I was good at it, but I wasn't really into audit to start with. It wasn't my plan. I was going to be the CFO of, of, of a list, large listed company. Uh, I, and then even if I wanted to reconsider, I looked at it and I said, no, 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 I, I, I don't, 
that they want to be a, an audit partner. So all of that just culminated in at some point, I literally resigned without having a job somewhere else because I felt that was the kick I needed. So it's not as if I wasn't searching, but naturally the, the stuff is to be confident in saying that, okay, yes, at least I have another job that I'm going to. And then once I get there, as in that will make me easy, it make it easy for me to resign here. So, so that didn't happen. And I will tell you, I interviewed, or at least tried so many places, uh, your Lafarge's and so all that place, Lafarge, Sahara, all those places that I thought in my head, that, that big company that would like be very lucky to have. Uh, yeah, exactly. That would be very lucky to have Ajibola, Jinodu, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's life generally because that's what my mindset had always been because i knew I, I knew i had the capacity i knew i trained very well to be at that point i worked with so many great clients that i just even thought one day one of them would just call me and say Ajibala, we are putching you from Deloitte." that never happened exactly. I, I, and, I don't know why and, that thing happens to us in audits you know <laughs> like really yeah no I so it happened to a lot of people <laughs> around me but it never did happen to me like and i was in fact i was so lazy that thinking that that's what was going to happen. That's mm -hmm. because I've done amazing work for clients and I was just wondering, exactly. like, Ajibola, you've been so good. You've been so awesome. Come and work with us. And I'll just be like, yeah, this is my sign-on fee and things like that. So, so that, 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 that never happened to me. So I started like, okay, putting my own way out and say, okay, if these people that I'm working with don't know how good I'll find my way. So I applied to all these big, all these big companies. Obviously, I wasn't going to. I wasn't applying to be CFO there in those places. But I was like, okay, I was going to be finance manager, finance controller, work my way up there as well. But very, very confident that, like, very confident in my abilities that they were going to be. Um, they were going to going to get a valuable person, and 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 everything ties because that's life. So eventually it got to a point where I had to like lower my lower my gaze, you know, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, so that's how I ended up at this um very fantastic, wonderful place to place to work. Um it was called Tennessee Professional Services, or it's called Tennessee Professional Services. And I was the CFO. And so when I decided to take that role, and I decided, okay, I can't go to a smaller place. So my plan was always to be a CFO. But I was going to leave Deloitte, be a finance manager, finance controller, blah, 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 work my way up in that space. Uh, but then I was not like, okay, if I'm going to go to a mid-sized firm, then definitely I'm not going to start like all of that. So it was going to be go to a mid-sized firm and then become CFO immediately. So that kind of fast-tracked my uh, career into being a CFO. So if you're keeping track of the... the the times or the year. So I worked eight years at Deloitte um, to 2017. Uh, so it means I became a CFO at 33, uh, 33 wow, years old. That's, yeah. That's quite a fast track. Yeah, so that's kind of fast track. I mean, everything is context, is nuanced. So a CFO in a smaller firm is or a smaller company is definitely not the same as CFO in a big one. Yeah, 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 but big the truth is, at least with all honesty and all of that, I can say I actually try to get into this established companies that I so 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 that's how I actually um, I made the move um, out from from that space okay but because then to, you're, to you're my CFO NG right so how yes, did that yes. come about you, you being right. CFO now creating yes. my CFO NG yes so 
so luckily it was also the experience so i so first i had this eight year experience in so i won't call it audit anymore at this point in consulting because essentially that's what it was uh, just that we did a lot of audit but most of the time it was consulting so i had this eight year experience in consulting with the big four i had the biggest client in nigeria i also had small clients so i had clients where literally they have only one account staff because they always have to balance our portfolio as uh, managers. And I had clients where I just work in and they have 50 account staff. So, and I'd audited over, or at least consulted for over a hundred companies in that space uh, in, in, in my time at Deloitte. So I'd seen all sorts of companies, big, small, whatever, offshore, onshore, like I'd seen a lot. And which is why I actually went through through that route. I didn't want to be in one company and then start from receivables to payables to fixed assets. So I went through the, why I really wanted a big four an accounting firm is so that I see a lot of clients in different industries and all of that to kind of like uh, add to my um, experience. That's really why I, why I went that route. So, so, that, so that was there. The consultant in me never left. Then I joined a company that at the time was struggling with structure. They were struggling with structure. So and that's one thing were... us big four people are very used to we love structure. Exactly. Yeah. If, I, if I, that's <laughs> what got me the job. That's what got me the job, to be honest. It wasn't if I it took me three months to first realize that the CFO's role or CFO's job is not IFRS. So when you're an audit is IFRS this, ISA, uh, ISA this, blah blah blah, and all of that. But that's what got me job. That they were big on structure. If I, that's what got me, the one they were like, "You're coming from." If I, I think the company at the time, and I don't always list it to this, but maybe. But anyways, my perspective, I think the company at the time was just like they couldn't believe that they got someone like me to join them. Like people, people, people that work at Deloitte, going to US, but they don't go and join mid-sized firms. I know, and to be honest, for a while I struggled with it. For a while, I struggle with it. Like, shouldn't I be in a bigger, bigger place, bigger, better place? So I struggle with it. But but everything has um, a reason, and that reason has also led me to my CFO NG. So so company was making a lot of money, but at the same time losing a lot of money because of the lack of structure or lack of financial structure. You know, so. That was my role as a CFO to to start that. So I was doing that and I was getting first-hand experience. If I that thing opened my eyes to a whole new different world outside of audit and big four and whatever. And if I realized that all the clients that had actually been auditing in all these years, once you come for audits, you don't see anything. To be to be very honest. Because I've looked at both sides now. You don't see anything, but like what somebody has done in one year, you come and try to audit it in two, three weeks. You, you're not seeing anything. Forget. And again, realize that the real decisions is the decisions and all of those things that companies take that reflect in whatever financial reports that we now start to audit. So getting in the room of the decision makers is like real the real big deal as opposed to making financial reports and all of that. The financial reports, I, in fact, if, if the first time you're really getting into anything is in the financial reports, then you're too late. 
because all they are doing at that point is analyzing all what the decisions and actions <laughs> that have been that have been done. You're too late. I know. So, so my eyes were opened. To be honest, so my experience before that wasn't a waste, but then my eyes were now opened, especially in an unstructured setting. So, a structured setting, there's 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 a board, there's a this, there's a that. But once you start to work for private guys, like literally, it's company, but it's like one man business at the same time. There, no hierarchy. No, okay, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and decisions are made fast. And these guys are making cool money. They are not. They are not into illegal stuff. They are just not doing it in the way that you would expect. All the business books have taught you. So the business book have taught us this is this this is this this is this. You pay dividend, blah blah blah. All these things, you know, they don't wait. And things are happening, and you can't then decide to say. No, 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 no. You're not doing it the way they taught us in a management class or this like that. Like, who cares? No one, no one cares. So what happened in that space was that some people didn't even know that I'd left Deloitte, which was normal. And they will come call me and then say, I'm having an issue with this. I'm having an issue with that. So I was giving free advice. At the same time, I was learning the other side, the industry side of things. So what I now really observed in that space was that there were lots and lots of businesses in Nigeria in particular that are suffering from a lack of financial structure. Yes, their owners and all of that are making money, but they could make more. But more importantly, they're losing money, like losing. like leading, burning leading cash. money. Yeah, I just it's like uh, no structure around inventory. People will buy inventory, they will just everything, they will just steal it or stuff like that. Vendors will be taking advantage. All of those things, no IFRS prepares you for that. No ISA, nothing prepares you for that. Point, That's like points and our controls. Yeah, <laughs> exact points and our controls. Those are real life problems that have financial impact implications. implications and then the guys that are involved are looking at it they're not looking at the financial impact they're just looking at it as it is so someone like me comes in and then i'm looking at i'm tying everything to that what doesn't look like is money i tie it to money and then my ceo is always like is that like what do we do and all of that so so when I opened my eyes, and I really, so I guess I'd always been, even my time at Deloitte with the smaller companies, but I never saw. But my eyes were now open. I started looking around, and I saw that that was a very, that was the same problem. And some companies they think, some companies think that they just get an accountant, not a CFO, an accountant, and then they've solved that problem. And then they end up frustrated with the accountant. The accountant who does not even know what they are doing and all. So my CFO NG was set up to help small and mid-sized. So if you're a big guy, as a, my CFO NG really can help because then there are people that are smarter, whatever, they've done MBA, all that. And, and, and the bigger guys literally can put three, four, five people into handle their receivables. Uh, they, 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 they go for, so they go to still places like Deloitte or go to other, whatever you went to, 
uh, Harvard or you've worked at McKinsey. So all of us like that work in that space. By the time we work for a certain way, you don't work six, seven, eight years in that kind of space. And then you don't know what you are doing. So all of us and everybody's looking for um, like higher pay progression and things like that. So those big guys can afford to get the big guys or the, the, the most competent guys in our profession. The small guys can't. The smaller guys, even when I say mid-size, mid-size can't. They can't afford. So ordinarily, a mid-size company cannot afford someone like me if I actually decide to go the, the way it's supposed to, supposed full to time. go full-time. And because of that, there's now a gap. There's a gap for... So the guys that are coming up are guys that literally don't know what they're doing or they have limited exposure, limited experience. So day to day are figuring things out and then it causes a lot of frustration for, for um, this company. So my CFO-NG was actually set up and I'll be very honest, when I started it, I was very selfish. So all I thought was, you know what, I will be a virtual CFO for like five companies. The five companies will pay me like 500,000 naira a month. And then I get 2.5 million in my account for a month and I'm, and I'm You're good for sorry about that. And I'm good. And I get my 30 million a year, blah, blah, blah. And lean staff and all of that. So that was a very selfish kind of thinking of myself alone. But then it was value driven. It, it was value driven. <laughs> uh, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, I had the value prop. I had the value yeah, proposition, give but value to, to, to take value. Yeah, yeah. But when you think of the name of my CFONG, it has to like mean more. So I just stumbled on the name anyway. I mean, because I was going into that space and uh, actually had to also um, leave Tennessee at the time to to pursue it. I know I I didn't feel I could run both of both of them together. I mean there are other things in the picture, but then I just decided, you know what, I was going to focus on my on 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 running that. But eventually, what I realized uh, is that this thing is bigger than me. If I'm looking to solve this widespread widespread problem, we can't just have five, ten, fifteen, twenty clients. There are literally thirty-seven million small and mid-sized entities in Nigeria, at least documented. This is a widespread problem. But then I even if I create a firm that rivals Deloitte, even Deloitte and all of that, when look at their client list, they literally have to get a lot of big guys to cover the cost of small guys. So you can't just pack small, small, small guys. They they in fact, even to this point, I, I, I struggle to to um, explain the value that they will get. I mean, so I have 16 years experience right now. I'm FCA, I'm FCC, blah, blah, blah. And I'm talking to a business owner about why bookkeeping is important, blah, 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 how it will turn to. And the guy will be looking at me like, I'm speaking, like, why am I speaking grammar? Uh, that, that has been in business for 20 years without proper bookkeeping. So why am I coming to, to tell him this now and stuff like that? So or, or, all those things are for the textbook. And so, so, so I actually, uh, so I actually get that, but we won't stop trying. So what I've, what we've, anyway, so, um, 
so what myself with Angie is doing now, what we realize is that the gap is not always necessarily the business owners. I mean, that's that's there, that, that won't go away, but it's in upskilling the accounting and finance guys coming up. So our, our textbooks, our learnings, they teach us a lot of things that I would say do not apply in real life or they fail to make a connection between why we are doing what we are doing in school or in our exams to how it helps a business. Because we have to remember that the guys, maybe not even your CEOs or MDs, the guys in operations department, uh, marketing, they don't know all these things that we know. And frankly, they don't care. In fact, I, I, and I'll give you... Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a sad it, part, right? It's like, sad, but it's also know. good because you you are you are, you are you are there to fill in the gap. And I'll give you one quick example. I, I went somewhere where the MDCO was hammering on the sales department or marketing, whatever you want to call them. And the guys are supposed to get sales in, hammering on them that they are not selling enough and all of that. That they should go everywhere and flood the market with their product. So I was consulting there too as a CFO. And that then created a conflict because what they were not doing was that because the MD would say, you've not met target, you've not met target, you've not met target. So what was happening is our guys would just take the product and go and dump it somewhere and then say they've sold. And then, so what that means financially is that we have huge receivables, massive. And that's also because there's also now no structure to say, before we even give you credit, have we done our checks? Do you have a credit yes, limit and all of that? Background checks. The background checks or whatever. What's even our policy? What's our credit policy? So MD is not thinking of that. MD is just like, go and sell, go and sell, go and sell. Now, marketing and sales sell all of those things, or literally, I don't even, in fact, from a financial, I don't call it selling. They just, because you are, you are making noise on their head, they just go and drop it to your, your place. And those ones are more like, well, I, I won't give you my money until I sell your products. And I mean, if you're a finance guy, that's terrible for cash flow. But nobody's even thinking of that. So now the marketing sales guys, they, they, we sit down with them weekly meeting and they start to say, oh, we sold so, 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 million. We sold so, 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 million. And everybody's clapping. Man, there's no cash. I like there's no cash. And and and, and then we are all <laughs> and I'm saying this from a finance from a finance point. Like you don't just go and give people stuff. We need to profile them. We need to have credit limits. We need to we need to do this. And then when the receivables are high, they start to shout at the finance guy. Why are you not collecting yeah. receivables? Why is your receivable so high? Blah blah blah. I had literally have no idea when you even <laughs> exactly. I literally have no idea when you went to sell these things. I know. So, so all that gap is there. Uh, those guys, and that's with me. That's not even knowledgeable. Even telling them, no, you can't do that. But there are lots of accounting that don't even know that the implications of every other thing that already. So, their own is just like you went to sell, blah blah blah, debit receivable. Uh, credit uh, revenue blah 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 make the report like it doesn't help the business yes the recording is good but that's not anything critical or strategic or, or things like that and i can tell you 
millions and millions of stories. I know. I mean, there's a common team. So what my CFOing is doing now is raising a lot more CFOs and finance business partners amongst our colleagues that don't actually, they were not lucky enough, so to speak, to actually be exposed uh, or to have the experience of working in large firms. Because if those guys are actually well equipped, they start to help turn around our small businesses. Our small businesses are losing money. They're losing, they're losing money. They're losing, they, if some of the things that they are kind of like associating with being small and say, we can't do this, we can't do that. I actually see things like, no, it means that being small means you are agile. It means that you're flexible. It means that you can be fast. And I use this analogy. If you are going on the road, it's very easy to turn around the Lamborghini than to turn around a, a truck. So big companies exactly. most times are already set, you know, structure, blah, blah, blah. So it's, you don't need to have that structure, but at least it means that you are now very, very agile flexible. and all of that, flexible and things like that. And those things don't mean that you lose money. And if you even look around you, you will see lots of small businesses that are actually doing well. Like they are doing well, even if it's your mom and pop shop and all of that. But it's just a case of, at the end of the day, all of it is down to money. It's down to finance. And then, so, and I also say this thing very well, that every single business on this planet, every single one has a CFO. And then some people are like, ah, what do you mean? I don't have a CFO. I'm like, well, you might not necessarily call the person a CFO, but every single business has somebody making decisions about money. So it could be the business owner or CEO themselves deciding they don't need to get a professional that they will handle money themselves. It's fine. But they would not do it the same way that high or anybody that has been trained to connect finance to business to do it. And then if some, some owners have accountants and then they try them one or two things and the accountant can't even go beyond uh, recording and things like that. And then they decide, you know what, accountants are all the same. They are useless, I know. So we're really about empowering a lot of um, young accountants, uh, finance professionals. So I'm always careful not to just limit it to accountants. But it usually starts from there. It usually starts from, it really starts, like if you don't know accounting, I don't know what you're doing in finance, but accounting is not finance. It's like a very small subset, to be honest. But the accounting is the information that you use for things like budgeting, uh, forecasting, um, investment decisions. Like if if you get your accounting wrong, if you put debit in the wrong place, credit in the wrong place, all of that, and then you start to use it to make any decisions, the decisions will be flawed. So that's why I like to start from accounting. But then realizing that finance is way bigger. And then that's usually the disconnect because the business speaks finance. The business doesn't speak accounting. So if you're going to talk as an accountant to any other person, not just the CEO, any other person in your business, don't talk accounting to them. Don't tell them depreciation. Don't tell them IFRS 15. Don't, don't, you know that they don't know that. And even They're before you knew it, it you know, you know how long it took you. You didn't just learn it on, in one day. So you can't go to someone 
and then they're having the discussion and they're saying IS2 said blah 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 IFRS 50 said this blah 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 like who cares <laughs> who cares what are you saying so a lot of people are stuck in stuck in that space and that's what we are trying to that's a gap we're trying to close wow interesting so i see on your linkedin profile you're on a mission to raise uh 1000 tfos and fbps so like one million oh one million wow one, one million. million cfos and fbps and you know like how, how yeah. far have we gone on that journey and i think we've been saying cfo cfo and then now yes. FBP, like to the to the layman please tell us what you know this is about <laughs> All right. So um, CFO is chief finance officer, chief financial officer. So that's you have the overall responsibility for finance in a business. Simple as that. Finance business partner is uh, more or less um, like uh, a step below. And big companies have finance business partners now. I'm just trying to bring it into um, small smaller businesses. So a finance business partner is somebody that and it's all in the name that partners the business with finance. That's as simple as it gets. So I believe that in like, I, and I also like, it takes me back to the, the, what I said that every single business has a CFO. So you have a small business and you need to be able to trust that an accounting and finance professional can actually handle the financial matters in your business. So that person, might not necessarily have a title of a CFO, but they will play the role of a CFO. So that's why I believe that we can raise 1 million. I mean, we have, like I said, we have 37 million small businesses uh, in Nigeria. And I mean, even get higher when it starts hard, mid-size and all of that. So the journey of raising this 1 million, like how far, like have you yeah. seen you've gone? Like what number, what's the guesstimates right now? Uh, to be safe, I would say I haven't taken stock yet, but uh, we're just getting <laughs> accountants. Accountants are terrible people. <laughs> I know, no. if I, that's the business, that's the businessman side of it, not even the accountant uh, part. But this is what I'm going to say we, we're just getting started, actually. We're just getting started, especially oh, wow. changing the model from a service based one to a knowledge based one. So for instance, I have um, I have LinkedIn posts. I post so my social media for now is just LinkedIn only, and I share nuggets and things like that relating to how. Um, so I write for two audiences primarily. Uh, one is to businesses to understand how finances better for them, and two is to up and coming accountants. And sometimes. So there's an intersection, especially for up and coming accountants. So when I write to businesses and say you must do this, do this, young accountants look at it and say, okay, yeah, I can. They can take what I've said from what I've written there and go and apply it in their own business because I can't like literally reach all business owners. So I get feedback from people to say that oh, they saw that post, blah blah blah, and then they used it to do so. So which I which is what which is what I like about the reach. So based on my reach right now, people are actually taking my content, my ideas, and all of that, and using it to improve their businesses, uh, where they are working, as in moving from accountants to finance business partners, and uh, even to the CFO tag. And uh, so I would say so. 
things like that, I won't be able to quantify that, but that's mm-hmm. that's there, and that's the intention. So yes, we must eat somehow, but the intention is not to monetize the entire process of saying, "Oh, you're coming into the space. We've trained you, or we've got jobs for you." It's just to make that awareness like out there that yes, you might have trained as an accountant. But you can be more. You can be a, a FBP. You can be a CFO. And if it's only by listening or reading my content or lis- listening to the podcast that we have that that's going to happen, that's fine. Uh, but then if you also want something much more um, curated, you can reach out to us. So what we're doing is actually selling knowledge. Like we have the entire um, package of how you get to a CFO. So we're just starting. Uh, we're just getting started in that space. Um, a CFO Academy is coming up in 2024. Uh, we do lots of corporate trainings. Uh, I had master classes last year. Um, there are going to be boot, there are going to be more master classes. Uh, when I mean last year, this year, 2023. Sorry, uh, there are going to be more master classes, boot camps, and all of that. So, um, and a few things have also changed in the in the makeup. So when I started, my CFO NG was just me. And I mean, I was consulting with a few people, but now I have more partners. So we're looking at, at getting more uh, to get uh, the reach out there. So 2024 is actually a year that, I mean, come back to me at the end of 2024, then I can give you stock of, okay, at least directly, this is, this is what, we, what, we, what we've done. I know. So the counts. <laughs> you've done the inventory count, exactly. So uh, there, yeah. there's, there's a massive, massive potential. And I do talk to a lot of business owners and they tell me to the when we have coaching, they tell me a lot of the, the concerns that they have. And sometimes in that space, they just wish I can come in and then come and do some work for them. But then the truth is I have my hourly rate and then I can come in. So I can actually even come in and then do something for one, two months. But after that, what happens? Because you can't afford to keep me full time. Even if they call you a demolana now, at some point, I mean, you have bills, you have all of that. Like, you, you rather work in a place that you do. Uh, yeah, that is structure exactly. And continuity. structure exactly and continuity and all of that. So, so sometimes if you work for these smaller guys, you're taking a risk. I know, but they tell me all these things, and then we realize that yeah, there are people accounting would always be in style. I mean, see the number of people that were inducted and all of that. So it's just once we empower those guys, our guys coming up, I, I, I actually the end goal is actually economic development. It might not seem like it, but it is because a company is as good as its financial processes. A lot of people disagree, but once once you once you understand that the point of business is money. The point of business is finance. If somebody says they are a businessman, they are talking about movement of money, how the money comes in, whatever they are selling, they are talking about money. Or, uh, even if you're not for profit, still need money to do anything you need to do. So if, if people understand that and then they can strengthen their financial processes, even in their little space, then look at the collective, the aggregation of all of that and look at how it can impact our economy. A lot of people would not do very big things and it doesn't mean they are not successful. 
they are okay in their space. There are people that are just literally covering a, a what I would call a catchment area, like a plumber or something. You like don't you don't even need to be on the exactly you don't even you just need to maybe be a plumber servicing one estate in Magudo only. That's all you're doing. You don't even need to be on LinkedIn, you don't need to be on anywhere, you don't need to get clients from all over the world, like you're just in that space. But meanwhile, you're running your business and you're running it professionally, and then you have somebody that can actually give you sound financial advice on running your business and maximizing your your profits maximizing everything whereby that's your small space you're actually doing 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 a lot and then just look at the multiplier effects of all of that and we have people in accounting and in finance that can help so so definitely uh, i see i see i see growth in this space i see the gaps i see growth and and sometimes it feels like i'm talking about small only but even mid-sized companies in nigeria to have the same problem they SMEs. have that SME. so that's why we just say smes okay. and when i say mid-size like literally your revenue could be six billion in a year six billion in naira and you're still mid-sized i mean because once you compare it to say uh mtn made two trillion naira last year i mean those are massive dangote made trillions nigerian breweries billions and so people are making 200 300 600 billion so those are what are, those are large those are uh, and, uh, big yeah, exactly and once and beyond the money the first thing you notice about them because i work with most of them is structure there's that structure that turns out it just it's, so it's like they're printing money they churn out they're just churning out so there's product there's everything relates so smaller guys just believe that uh some things are not important but we're here to tell them that they are equally as important irrespective of um, your size so i'm excited about this and then definitely uh if i don't get to one million even if i only raise 10 people which i think is going to be but if i raise 10 people and those 10 people find fulfillment in saying that yeah Ajibola and myself or Henji help them progress in their career to that point, then I actually will be fulfilled myself. Nice one. It's, it's more about the impact than um, the numbers, yeah. right? Quality over quantity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Because, you know, as a counter. We need the know, quantity, like, though, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we, 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 we start with volume. We start with the value and then volume. volume will, I think volume will follow. Uh, actually, follow I'm confident that volume will follow. Yes. Uh, automatically definitely so so you, you mentioned that you provide um advice to you know both the smes and of course individuals right but then what yes. would you say are like your top five you know sound financial management tips for making smes right successful ah so i saw the question earlier and again somebody has asked me so most of it is i don't want to be too generic so i'm going to give you just one or i'm going to give all of them just one okay and and that's fundamental every other thing will be on a case-by-case -case basis so that one is called discipline financial discipline so smes are notorious so a lot of reason why smes don't want structure even though they know they need it is so that they can be disciplined <laughs> with how and so you can set up all the controls and processes in the world 
and as a, as an auditor, the you know what they say about management of a right of control. <laughs> we do exactly. That. So that's so so that's the reality with SMEs. You set up everything and then this, 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 and then the at the first sign of inconvenience, so to speak, you as the person that set it up, you override everything. You override the controls. You override the controls. And then because you can literally do whatever you want. So that's the fundamental problem that I would say 95% of them have. Because you are the mm -hmm. owner, you can do whatever you want. Or you are at the top, you can do whatever you want. And then you're not accountable to a board or whatever. Or even if you, are, even if you set up a board and you are like 100% shareholder, they will talk what they want to talk. But, so how much more, if you have a board, and how much more Ajibala comes with and say, as a finance guy, you must do this, you must do this, you must do that, blah, blah, blah. If at the first sign of, uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 some of these things are basic. So financial success, right from early days, it's there's a set of principles. You put this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and it takes time, it's patience. You don't rush it. And then you have guys just be like, you know what, ah, this deal, this deal. Ah, you must close, blah, 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 blah. They go, do, do, blah. And then bypass all the signatures or try to get a contract uh, so that before we do this, like, they just forget all of that and be like, and if you are an accountant in those places and the MD says, do this, and you're asking the MD, ah, but we need to set this up. And the guy was like, who, who employed who? Blah, blah, blah. I said you should do it. Go and do it. Blah, blah, blah. And that's the reality of so many people. That's their reality. <laughs> exactly. They can't talk back. I mean, they don't have another job yet. They can't, they can't, they can't challenge. They can't say anything. MD wants it like this. Uh, that, that's the reality. So, so SMEs require discipline. Once you have discipline, especially financial discipline, like every other tip around things like maybe i would just mention it with about things like um uh structure um segregation of duties um um lean lean processes automation all those things come into place but the truth is if you do all those things you put automation and say oh this must go here to go here to go here and then the first sign of something needs to happen the MD says, no, 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 don't delay my customer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I will sign, uh, I will sign manually, blah, blah, blah. And then everything that they've spent money on, on just goes down the window. And once the tone at the top says that that thing is not as important, or we can sideline it when it doesn't serve us. When, when, once they say that everybody working in the firm just then knows that, yeah, that thing is not important. So I would, yeah. I would just put it down to discipline. Yeah. And it's very hard. So, it's very, very hard. Wow. Wow. It's, it, 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 it's difficult, right? But then, you know, once that discipline is actually instituted, right, especially the tone yeah. at the top, it follows, you yeah. know, um, to it does, yeah. the rest of the, yeah. of the organization. So we've actually spoken yeah. about um, organizations, right? So how about individuals? Yes. Like what, what financial advice would you give to um, the younger generation? Because uh, we are finance professionals and you would know that um, even as finance professionals, a lot of individuals, 
right? We know how to advise companies on some financial practices and all, but then uh, there was a post that was trending uh, recently on um, on Twitter, right? Which mm. is now X. They're saying, mm. oh, a lot of the guy, a lot of the people in the big four are always broke. I don't know what is mm. their problem. <laughs> so I don't know if you saw that thing. Uh, like, no, like, like it, even, but I the, the person was like, even their managers are broke. And then it, it came to me like, yeah, a lot. That's actually true. Like a lot of you know finance professionals. Mm. have poor personal finances not because they don't even earn much but mm. because they don't manage their finances properly as well so yeah. like what advice would you give to the younger generation of professionals individuals uh, you know uh, all right no so it, it so first off it's literally the same thing discipline so whether it's it's personal finance or corporate finance it's literally it comes down to discipline because money coming in for the most part for the most part you have no control over it i mean there are nuances to that side so people say it's whatever you do that brings money in but let's just say for argument's sake you have especially if you have a steady job just show up month on month your salary comes in but money going out definitely you have control over you have control over that and none of it is easy, especially with rising bills and all of that. But whatever takes money out of your wallet or your bank account is as a result of the decisions you're taking. So, for instance, you could decide to live on, if you live in Lagos, you could decide to, decide to live on the island as opposed to the mainland. That decision or where to live impacts what your rent is impacts even cost of living maybe things are more expensive on the island i know so in itself it doesn't seem like a financial decision where to live but it it is so you can then decide that you know what with this my income so 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 percent must go to rent maybe 30 percent or 40 percent and then you start to say what brackets of area cannot live comfortably with this and um, the other part of the discipline still rings true money going out deciding to spend or splurge or whatever knowing that another income is coming is common amongst people so whether you're a finance professional or not it's very very easy to become uh not to have discipline around finances especially when you have a steady source of income so i'm going to ask i'm going to say discipline one uh and um so what's funny what's funny is i actually had a discussion uh a present a speaking event uh with the project management institute of nigeria sometime about two three months ago and the topic was uh how corporate finance and personal finance are the same so that's one of the mantras i have it, for me they are literally the same thing companies have assets humans have assets companies have liabilities human beings have liabilities i know so no matter you want to take it uh revenue for companies salary for individuals or if they are doing other things expenses universal uh things like that it's just that we almost don't prepare financial statements of our lives as, uh, as individuals. 
uh, net worth of an individual, it's their assets minus their liabilities. That's the same as net assets in a company. And you, use that, you actually use it to determine the worth of a company. So you could, you could say net worth is the same thing. So when you think about it that way, so my advice was that if you know that, you can start to plan your life like a, the companies that you, like strong companies. You can plan your life and your finances around what kind of assets do I want to have? What kind of liabilities do I want to have? My revenue, is it just from one source or multiple sources? How do I manage my expenses? If I take a loan, if I, if I, if I incur debt, am I using it to finance an asset? Am I using it to finance operations? You know, there's a big difference because you, you, you take money to, you take a loan to pay rent. The money that you would use to pay the loan will come from your revenue that probably you already had, like not increasing at all. But you take a loan to buy an asset that then generates additional revenue, that then generates the cash that you used to pay the loan. You see that there's a difference there. And that's how companies mm -hmm. actually do it. Most of them of don't, well. except for a small overdraft, whatever. But if they take um, a loan, a, a proper proper loan, they're using it to finance assets. In fact, and they, uh, they do leverage. That's what we call leverage. They leverage the assets, blah, blah, blah. So if everything, anything goes wrong, they can't pay back the loan. Or yeah, come and take the assets, use it to to pay the loan. But then if people start to take loans, use it for operational stuff, or use it to fund their lifestyle, so to speak, and their revenue is not increasing. Their revenue is still the same source it was, I know. So so my advice is people start to think about this in in that in that line. Like think of yourself as not just yourself, as as a company. And then start to make decisions in that in that line. So I was even so there's this funny one, uh, just to round up. There's this funny thing around um, assets, fixed assets and current assets and even cash. I know. So you go to somebody's house. Um, they have this big plasma TV. They have a fridge. They have a, this uh, in their house. They have a big bed. What a nice furniture, blah, blah, blah. But it's possible they don't have cash. But if people say, they'll be like, yeah, you have all these assets, even if they do the net worth and all of that, like, all oh, these are your assets. I mean, it's literally property, plant, and equipment. These are your property. But it doesn't mean that if you need cash, you start to sell. You'll be like, ah, I'm broken crash. The day you decide to sell your fridge, you're going to get a lot less value for it. Than they, with less value for it. Uh, because, well, who just decides to hop and sell their fridge? So once you start thinking about that, you can then decide on the type of assets you want to have. So investments are an asset, and then they can easily convert to 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 cash. And so you just be like, okay, maybe a little less more material stuff. Maybe I just have enough that can I mean that's comfortable for me to get by, and then more investment because investment easy. generates <laughs> returns. I know, but typically your TV, your fridge, and all of this, those things don't generate money. But then someone can look at you and be like, ah, you have assets. So you, you've taken your revenue or whatever you get the money from. You've used it to buy things. And then those things are technically assets. You own them. And somebody will tell you that, hey, don't worry. 
this it, it's it's worth this amount and then but then the truth is they are not revenue generating assets and mm. then and, and and things like that so once people start to think like the and, and it's very easy to get uh financial education nowadays even if you're not in finance go on youtube or whatever get financial education and then look at the biggest companies in the world they are they are they are mostly public uh mcdonald's amazon blah 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 so you can even see their financials you can and they, they must have management commentary so if i do that a lot i just be like ah okay okay because you're not just looking at numbers they are putting i'm just saying revenue is one billion or whatever they're also explaining this is what we're thinking this is what we did this is, so i just do that and I now apply that apply that personally and then it, it, it works as well Oh, interesting. So um, on, on the list of questions, we have one. Uh, it says, you know, what's uh, what's your take on the financial ecosystem in Nigeria and like what can be done to achieve financial inclusion? Ah, so that's a tough one. Again, it's one of the ones I saw and I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Ah! <laughs> well, and, it, and, and, and it's because I... I I honestly don't have an answer or I, I don't have what I would call an intelligent answer to, to it. Because and why I would say that is economic economics. Are you read economics? I'm not, I can't teach you economics. <laughs> or, or the, there's a way things are supposed to work mm-hmm. as in from studies. And I think in Nigeria in particular, everything is just flipped. Everything, everything, that's, that's, everything that's is, I think everything is flipped. It doesn't just work that way. So, because again, what's financial inclusion? Is it that everybody should be digitally captured? Mm, or, basically, that, it, that, that, that's or, about like or, having uh, people use financial institutions, right? So you see that there's a lot of, um, um, our economy in Nigeria that is outside of the financial institutions, outside of the banks, right? Yeah. Outside, yeah. So, so basically, how do we? Bring no, I, I get that. I get that. Using yeah. Things. Yeah. For the so, day, for the layman watching, uh, watching. Yeah, the okay. Boss, yeah. Yeah. No. No. I know. I get that. No, yeah. I get that. No. So what I was trying to say was that, what does bringing them in do for them? So, for instance, you go to uh, a Laba area and that huge economic, uh, electronics, whatever. And yes, it's a very large informal market and they are moving billions and billions of naira. We want them to come through the banks, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and all they are hearing, and, and, and they are fine where they are. And they are literally fine. They like you. What's the benefit to them? Because now you bring them, you include them, blah, blah, blah. Then, then you're talking about BVN, before you know it, FIRS and whatever. It's now in their case. If Literally, you, you want to take the food out of their mouth and then you, you cannot monitor what's going on with them. And they don't want that. Because they are good where they are in that, in that space. And I don't even really feel that some people the inclusion is their problem 
because we don't want to create a problem where there is none. So the inclusion, whether they are included or not. So the fact is that nobody is excluded. Let's start with that. Nobody is excluded. There is no mechanism that excludes anybody right now. So everybody has a right to be included. So the people that are excluded are not necessarily, there's a barrier to them. It's a voluntary and, and exclusion. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's, no, there's no barrier. Like, what's stopping you from being included? And is, is it that the technology is not enough or things like that? So what I would say overall, like I said, I don't have an intelligent answer, but what I would say overall is that we need to think beyond fintechs just coming up and then all they are doing are giving loans. And I know they do more than that, but most of them are giving loans and um, and giving loans without uh, real KYC or whatever, giving, giving loans and then payment solutions, things like that. Because the, the farmer in KB and all of that doesn't care. In fact, give the person cash. It's, does the person doesn't need all of that? So what what we need investment in is things around that just helps the economy grow. So we need investment more in agriculture, in health, in education. So a lot of money is going into fintechs and that are pretty much doing the same thing. And everybody's saying the same thing, in my opinion. Financial inclusion, financial inclusion. You want to bring more people in. You want to bring more. So we are doing using tech to bring more people in. But the thing is that how is it bettering the lives of those people you want to bring in? And we need to really talk about what's really impacting them. It's not financial inclusion that's impacting them. The 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 farmer wants to grow more. They, they want to have good health. They want their kids to go to school. Lots of social things that, that we can really address than, than just... Exactly, than just another set of guys just announcing to some of us that they've raised another $100 million to blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, to be, to be honest, it just still covers it's just a small subset of people. Interesting, interesting. If we were actually going to talk about uh, the the issues of Nigeria, it would be a very, that's another podcast on its own. So, uh, yeah, yeah, really, like, uh, what what advice did you have for the younger generation in terms of overcoming imposter syndrome? Uh, so that that would that would be easier if if I even overcoming myself. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So, 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 I, might, so like, I would just say, <laughs> so I, I would say it gets easier to manage, but it never leaves. And, and, and I, and I see people or I've heard of people, um, even that I would say that much smarter and more brilliant than I am, even me saying that is, is a form of imposter syndrome but i've seen people say things like that and say you know what they never really um get over it so there are acts so for instance like beyonce um said that she created this such a fierce alter ego 
uh, and in fact most of this even uh if you're into hip hop on uh, even uh, eminem um he enters into slim shady so so people just literally create an, an alter ego of themselves and then in that fashion of themselves they are not themselves they are a different person and they give that person the license to really be bold and brave and then when they are in that space they literally can't say or do anything so so that's that's a hack that i feel can can work but um just a side story and i'll try to make it brief so so my profile has i'm a fellow of icon i'm a fellow of acc uh i worked in a big four in nigeria and the us uh, uh i've been cfo of two companies i've set up my business and all so i can imagine you can imagine that if i package my cv i package my cv right now a lot of people would be like wow that guy ah like if even if my cv could be a half of what he has done that that's like that would be massive and then you can imagine and it has really happened to me it's not even like you can imagine that somehow at some point i applied for a job and i dropped my cv and someone looked at it and be like why are you giving me this nonsense like you're talking about people that have done this 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 you are giving me this guy's cv so things like that can actually start to really be like, should I even be here? Or you, you start to doubt everything you've done. And then you're looking at what more can you do? And then you just you just lose sight of this. Or the other another example is when you just look at somebody else and just be like, okay, I've not done up to 1% of that. So so those things are really affected. So the the, the main thing I would say is for anybody, and again, maybe I should, I'll probably take my own advice, is just always calm down, take a breath, and just focus on your own achievements. So, like in my own case now, being a fellow of Icon is not a joke. Like, not it's not it's not a joke at all. Even before fellowship, uh, even being an associate, it's it's not it's not there's a lot of sacrifice. It's not just passing exams. It's all those sleepless nights uh, in tuition houses, sacrificing weekends, and all of that. And then you literally still have to pass the exams. And then once you pass the exams, you don't automatically get the certification. You must work, uh, is it three years, the six three months? Years. Or, uh, exactly. And in that space, you're not just sitting around, counting time, waiting to get your your certificate you're actually working making an impact so and that's my example so my my advice is people like just realize that whatever you are doing or whatever you've done you, it wasn't by luck there was some effort into it there were blood there was sweat there was there were, there were tears involved in that and always like be grateful for that also know that yes there's always something much more to conquer but then whatever you've conquered you've conquered it's your own and then own it i think that that would help a lot 
Yeah, fantastic. You always have to own it. So speaking of owning it, right, like what accomplishments would yeah. you say you're most proud of in, in your life and your career as a person? Uh, that, that, that's a tough one. I mean, because it has been, 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 been a lot. I can't even, I can't, I can't even, I can't, I can't pick one. Okay, let me pick one just for Peter's sake. <laughs> so, 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 um, it would be while I was in the US, I was in, uh, so this would be in 2014, late 2014, uh, I got an outstanding performance award from uh, my Deloitte partners. So why it was so important to me was the fact that, again, I think I was dealing with some sort of imposter syndrome too as well. So I'd left Nigeria. I was doing well in Nigeria. Then went to the to, to the US, and in my head, it was, in my, in my head, I was already feeling inferior. Like this is the US. Like so, everything you've been doing in Nigeria, yeah, is small compared to what's happening here in the US. But as I decided to lean in into what I knew how to do and learning more. So learning is very important to so just be stagnant. So I started to learn more and all of that. Before, before you know it, I was actually now very, very good and very valuable because I didn't really stop what I was doing before where I was getting promotions in Nigeria and even on secondment is kind of like a promotion because everybody wants to go to the US, then the company now deciding to, to sponsor you to go as a is it's a big jump for your career so things like that already showed i was already on the path but when i got into the us i kind of like struggled a bit with just in my head i know but after a while like just so so anyway the combination of all of that was that the partners now recognizing that okay yeah this this guy is actually good so it kind of like validated it gave me some sort of validation and vindication that okay yeah i was doing something good so that 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 award actually uh uh means a lot of meant a lot to me. But over mm, the course of true. my career, like I literally I think it's they say this uh, count your blessings one by one. I literally have to count one achievement, at least one achievement every single year. I can't I can't be in twenty yeah, I can't be in twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four and then I'm thinking about the the performance award I got in twenty fourteen, like yeah, but then it's always a sweet spot, you know. It's a it's a sweet spot. There, there's always that, you know, sweet achievement that you have that propels you going forward. It sets like a base. So it's uh, it's, it's it's not like oh that's like the biggest thing, but then it meant a lot to you. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, I get you. you going forward. Yeah, I get you. But it was it was it was in the context of the question, so I mean, I just had to pick one. So for me, uh, if if I'm going to be more realistic, then it would be my most recent. Because my most recent one is at the point now the most fulfilling one. But that is recency biased. <laughs> it's recency biased. So I've done that one at that time. It's gone. The next thing, do it. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. I know. Yeah, but recency bias is, is really a thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing, right? So um, you, yeah. you, you talk about learning a lot. Like, what, what book would you recommend you know, for the audience uh, to succeed in business and in life generally? I wouldn't recommend the book. Uh, what, I just, uh, what I would just recommend is just stay open to, to learning. So I can't even credit any single book myself. But, so 
uh again i you realize that most of my questions or most of my answers come with the context instead mm -hmm. of a straight whatever so uh for me for a long time i had my youtube and the only thing i watched with it was youtube uh was music videos like i watched music videos that's that's where that's vivo and all of that then after a while i, I don't know where it just changed and I just decided to create. I don't know what happened, but it just happened that I just started to create it. And they're like, that YouTube is a trove of knowledge, like massive knowledge. So now if you see my YouTube, now it's curated with a lot of business strategy. I still learn how Excel. To, how I, to. I, I thought <laughs> how to. Uh, I, yes, okay, okay. So I know how it happened. This how to, exactly. So thank you for bringing me. So I know how it happened. So I realized at some point when I wanted to do, if I was stuck at work or stuck with something at work, the first thing I do is I go on Google and say, how do I, blah, 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 how do I? And for me, that's still learning. A brilliant person is not somebody that just has everything in their head. I think a brilliant person is someone that knows where to go when they have issues mm -hmm. or just whatever, but don't just put everything. So personally, I used to be very proud that I know all the IFRSs and all of that in my head. But now it's like, that's 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 not necessary. If you ask me and I do I don't need to know, I know where to go. Where, where at to least get the where, information. Where to get information. And what's more important what's most important is I can go in there and I can once I read it, I can understand what's being said and then we can have a conversation. So uh, I used to do the how-to and then once you do the how-tos, what it does is that it takes you to the videos. And the videos, because Google and YouTube are literally the same business. And so, so for, from there, I just now realized that YouTube had a trove of knowledge. So my YouTube is now lots of how to this, uh, business strategy. Blah, blah, blah. In fact, uh, my website, my CFONG, I created it myself. Uh, it's something I don't, I don't see. Oh. I mean, because I feel like, I, 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 I feel like if like a professional web, web developer just say like, yeah, we can tell that it was a professional that did it, <laughs> but to a layman, but to a layman, I mean, I've gotten compliments like, ah, your, 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 your website look professional. I literally just went on YouTube and I watched a tutorial on how to create a WordPress website. And it took me three weeks. So as I was learning, I was executing, I would pause, I would do that, pause, do that, blah, blah, blah. And I created my, my, myself, energy.com. As you can see, it was all done. I mean, I didn't outsource it to, 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 to anyone. Yes. It will have some gaps and things like that. Anyway, although they advertise it more like, yeah, you can do it yourself, but, uh, you get the idea. So that for me, that's, that's, um, learning. So for everybody else is, it might not be YouTube, just a case of just the mindset of staying open to learn and then more importantly using what you learn is is the is the most important thing i would say anybody should have hmm. interesting so, so basically speaking of you learning all right are there like skills or competences that you have or people do not know about well you're quite proud of ah uh, that would be outside of finance <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely outside of finance. Like for me, for example, I'm I'm, I'm a great yeah. chef. I can chef it up. I know how to cook really well. But uh, at some point, people did not really know about that. But over time, like recently, I started showing that off. So like really, what is it for you that, yeah, it's private. You know how to do this really well, but people don't know about it. I, I want to say 
and it's just gonna go down to my hobby anyway so i, I want to say i'm extremely skilled at fifa oh wow um, i i want to say that and that's because uh when i play with people around like i'm literally the top dog and i've been wow. playing since i was a kid and um but when i go online and people people around the world like they show me pepe so so i didn't so sometimes i didn't even know how good i am or things like that at all but but the visual when i relax so i actually feel to be honest i actually feel that if i went into esports uh so not just fifa but just like if i went into esports like uh, i i won't be average i'll be above average wow oh, interesting interesting that, that that's a nice one that's a nice one so uh basically you know towards the end of the pod we usually have we have a tradition on the podcast right so you have a question yeah. from the previous guest and of yeah. course uh you have uh, you would have to drop a question for the next guest so the question from All the right. previous guest is how would you free people from the poverty that they experience in their minds <laughs> uh so so that uh was nancy drop that Yes, Nancy jumped that. And interestingly, you saw, you saw the, you saw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how would I? So is it like if I had superpowers or something? Because that's actually a very difficult one. I mean, you can always tell people whatever you want to tell them, but it's up to them to take advice. So I, I try. I almost don't give advice except you really come to me and say, "Help me with this." I know. But anyway, poverty of mind generally as a concept is one where you feel like you don't have um, options. So you settle for the first lowest hanging fruit. So a simple answer to that is have an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset like the, the, the world is vast, the resources of the world are vast, they are limited less some people say they are limited but i think they are lim- at least for a person they are limitless so change your mindset understand that yes you might be in a situation right now but that's not the only situation so that situation can limit you into thinking um in a, in a certain in a certain way and before you know it your mind is closed so as you can tell from some of your other answers you need your mind to be open once your mind is open then you see possibilities everywhere and once you see possibilities everywhere then then there's an abundance mindset so i generally don't worry about maybe i'm doing something and i'm going to lose my job or something like so because i i just like yeah one door closes another opens things like that so in that way i can then be like where we started i started with being very shy but now i'm actually bold enough to speak my mind to certain people because I understand that you you've not limited me and I've not limited myself to saying if it doesn't work this way then there's no other way it can work so mm-hmm. for anybody that's having poverty of the mind and all that it's just it well I want to say just it's 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 simple or I they say it's easy but just simple but it's just realize that there's so much in the world there's so much abundance in the world and it's just once you once you open your mind have an abundance mindset you start to see them and then you take advantage of them and then once you are rich in the mind every other thing is 
Interesting. So, so what question are you going to leave for the next guest? Uh, so I didn't really think it through. <laughs> I didn't really think it through. But uh, the, the good thing, I also have a podcast as well. So I'm just going to take from one of what, what question one of the well, guests actually left. And it's, um, so for the next um, guest is, what are you doing to impact the next generation? Yeah, if, if I, the person says, what are you doing to impact the next generation of accountants? So I'm just going to leave that. What are you doing to impact the next generation? The next generation. Oh, wow. Interesting. So the next guest has that work cut out for them. Wow. It's been a really, really long and, you know, insightful conversation today. I know we've eaten a lot into your very busy schedule. <laughs> Thank you very much, sir, for being on the Kick Games happy podcast. To be here. Yeah, I'm actually to be here today, and it's actually the early days, so it's it's it was uh, it wasn't really much of um, an inconvenience to to speak with you today. Okay. Thank you very much. Your time is highly highly appreciated. You're welcome. Okay. So do, do, do you, okay, do you want to give a shout out to anybody? Yeah, because the, the last guest, I gave them an opportunity to give a shout out to, to somebody. So who would you like to give a shout out to before we uh, uh, wrap up? Uh, I mean, really, it just goes back to the stats, but uh, they probably won't watch it. So maybe maybe my wife will watch it, but then uh, it goes back to the start, just my, my family. <laughs> just my family. Okay. Uh, okay. And, I know. I'm about, I mean, we're all in the same space, but sometimes the, maybe sometime in the future, my, my, my daughter would see this and then maybe this can be like a time capsule for her. i be like, ah, that's daddy. I know. So maybe I'll shout out to my kids and okay. let them know that daddy, 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 daddy was here. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. Once again, oh. and God bless you. We're wishing you the very best in your, of all of your endeavors. Uh, yeah. we, we would love to see, you know, my CFO NG scale up into a global giant. And of course, you becoming a globally recognized name. God bless you, sir. That's it. That's, that's, that's the dream. In fact, that's why I left the NG in the stuff. So let everybody know it's from Nigeria to the world. Wow, Nigeria to the world. <laughs> okay, for me, uh, it's peace. Uh, God bless everyone. Bye. <laughs>